0: Mother's Day is Sunday. Get the best blanket ever. It's also the best gift ever for Mother's Day. Minky Couture, Sandy and her staff are doing it again for Zone listeners, helping you get a ride on Mother's Day. Get 50% off now when you mention Zone 50 at a store near you or online at MinkyCouture.com. That's promo code ZONE50. That's Minky Couture for Mother's Day. Time to welcome in Matt Harpering, Utah Jazz Game Analyst for AT&T Sportsnet. Matt, good morning. Good morning. How are you? Good. You know, Matt, Great. we always think people are smart when they say things that we already believe. We're like, see, that person really gets it. And I was watching the game, and you started going on, hey, if you want health, home court, seating, well, of course you want it all, but if you pick one, health. Health is it. And PK and I immediately thought, Matt's really smart. So good work. <laughs>
1: I, I think it's pretty obvious. Actually, I'm, I'm a master of the obvious at times, but I, I think when you sit back and you kind of think about it, and I think every jazz fan wants the number one seed, and you know I do as well. But it's it's really not what you really want when you when you sit back. It's you're just not going to have a chance in the playoffs unless you have a healthy team.
2: Yeah, that's the bottom line. Obviously, you being the former player could answer this. The player mindset now with just a handful of games to go, things can change, and they literally are changing from game to game, night to night, as far as the seating. But as a player on this Jazz team, if you were on this team, how much concern or care would you have about, oh, we're on this this side of the bracket or that side of the bracket? How much does it matter?
1: Um, you, you know I, I they're definitely looking at it every day in the locker room right I mean there's matchups that you would rather stay away from if you could um you know I think there was just a couple years ago when the jazz didn't look like they were going to get to Houston in the playoffs and there was such a slim margin that they were going to get it and then all of a sudden you get Houston in the playoffs and that was the matchup that they didn't want so you can't control it um in the end and you you, you got to try to control yourself and that's winning and, and creating the habits that got you to this point and you kind of got to let it just simmer down on the on the other side of your brain and say you know what whatever happens happens we're going to be prepared and um you know you, you listen to these guys talk and they all say the same thing well if you're going to win it you have to go through all of many ways, and that's true um but there is a side that you go in the locker room and you say oof we'd rather have this this matchup than this one or this one and um because this let's face it playoffs are about matchups and some teams play well against other teams. It's it's not about the record as much as uh, who matches well against you and and vice versa. So, you know, there, there's definitely some looking at it, but I think in the end with, you know, the sprint left of the season, I I think the jazz are focused on health, getting healthy, Uh, obviously mainly Conley and, and Mitchell getting them back to a 100%. And then, you know, then you go from there.
0: So I'm curious which teams you think the Jazz really should want to see and which teams they should not want to see. And it seems like it's really complicated because, although we know Jamal Murray's out, but aside from that, there seem to be a lot of star players who might be injured in the playoffs. I'm not clear how healthy right. LeBron and Kawhi are going to be. Who should the Correct. Jazz want and who should they not want?
1: Well, and that's why you don't try to play it, because you don't know, because you really, you know, if, if the Lakers don't have LeBron and he's not healthy, well, that's a different Laker team, obviously. Um, You know, Kawhi Leonard being out in the Clippers, if he's not healthy in the playoffs, obviously that's a different Clipper team. So you don't know, and so you you play it. I mean, right now, a guy like Steph Curry, I mean, he's on fire. He was terrific last night, and they had a big win over New Orleans. But, um, you know, that could be, if you're the number one seed, that could be your playing game, or that could be your A seed. It could be the seventh seed. You don't know yet. Uh, Portland, you know, they had a bad loss last night uh, when they are trying to get out of the seventh seed um, you know, Denver obviously playing well. I think they're 9-2 and two since the injury now. But that, they have an MVP in Jokic. So, you know, I, I don't know. I, I think you can get carried away with this stuff and looking at it. But in the end, I think the Jazz team, they're, they're built for sustained success in the, in the playoffs. I, I think they have the depth. They have the star power. They've proven it this year. And then you take it and you say, you know, they got to beat us too. So you don't really look at it too much, and you look at the, what the Jazz can do. And I'm a firm believer that the Jazz are playing their type of game. Whether you know they're hitting threes like they did last night, they're moving the ball around, they're playing pressure defense, and they're getting, and the you know the decision making's happening fast. They are such a tough team to beat. They have so many weapons on this team that uh, even you know if one or two guys struggle, there's a lot of people that can pick up the slack.
2: So the three of us, we watch all the games. We obsess over everything. It's our job, and this is what we do, and we love it and all that stuff. And a lot of folks don't do that. So where I'm going with this is involving Rudy Gobert. I mean, he is brilliant, and I believe you have to really, really watch him almost just about every game to understand all of his greatness. With that in mind... Do you believe he gets the respect that he deserves
1: throughout the league? Because I don't. No, I, I'm in total agreement. Um, you know, I watch him play through maybe a different lens than try other some other people just because I was a player and I, I envisioned myself, wow, if I could ever have a guy like, you know, Gobert back there. Unbelievable what the advantage is. He does so many things on the court. And we, we talk about his defense often. And You know, he'll – He'll contest a shot challenge a shot then go get the rebound and then maybe get a block shot on the same possession right i mean he could do three four different things on one separate possession i've seen him guard multiple people uh coming down the lane when it's a two-on-one i've seen him guard both but both guys at once uh, there's just he's so unique there's there's really no one that could do what he does um a lot of his stuff doesn't show up in the stat sheet uh but one of the things that i that i really love watching is how he runs the court and usually you just don't get big guys that are as motivated to run the court and transition, whether it's defensive transition or offensive transition. It's, it's, pretty, it's pretty fun to watch as a, as a player. This guy has a great motor. And when you got a guy that's doing everything defensively and protecting the rim, and then he's also going to sprint the court and try to seal on the other end and then set a quick pick, uh, an up screen, <clears throat> to get the offensive transition going, I mean, that's so valuable. It, it really is. And then he's a dunk lob threat all the time. So, you know, his health has been great this year. Hopefully, you know, knock on wood, it's going to stay great. But he's 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 a factor um, that, I, like you said, you watch him, I watch him. A lot of Jazz fans kind of watch him. But as he goes through, uh, he's getting better, in my opinion, and Quinn's done an amazing job with him. But he, he is off the chart defensively. I mean, historically good.
0: So I'm I'm of two minds here with the he doesn't get enough respect. I feel like individually – He's a two-time defensive player of the year, and he's three times all NBA, and he's still in his 20s, so he's going to add to that. Uh, But I feel like where he doesn't get the respect is, I don't feel like a lot of the um, national commentators, whether they're writing for web stuff or they're on TV or whatever, I don't feel like they think... He can elevate a team to the championship level. It's like you need right. two wings who score 25 points a night. That's the recipe. Rudy's not that, so he's a great player. But then I'm going to dismiss him when I get into a championship conversation. Why is that?
1: Well, I, I think he's at a prove me stage, right? I mean, it's great if you want to do this in the regular season, but now everyone's saying to Rudy and, and you know, the national media and, and saying, "Well, okay, let's let's prove in the playoffs. Let's get out of the first round. Let's go to the second round. Get out of the second round." And see what happens. Does it work? Does having a, a the the defensive stopper and a guy like Rudy propel you to a finals? And, and can you win it all? And I think that's where maybe the national media is saying um, it's it's you know regular season is one thing, playoffs and championships are another. And so when I think of a lot of the national media talk, they talk about winning championships. And what do you need uh, if you're going to win it all? And so I, I think that. Uh, And that's just something Rudy just hasn't done yet. I mean, he's he's young. He's been in the playoffs quite a few times with early exits. So, um, you know, let's see what happens this year. I mean, I think he's ready for it. And I think the other thing is, you know, people like offensive numbers. They look at points and they say, oh, you know, 14 points a game. That's not that good. Well, you know, when you're talking superstars, they like the, the 27 points a night and the 28, but that's just not his game. So they don't look at the overall game. They just look at the offensive part of it. And that's where I think, and my point was, know he doesn't get the respect in in that way because he changed he challenges the game he he changes the game in a way that just like that 28 point a game guy does offensively he does it the exact same thing defensively so I think there needs to be you know more homework done on the defensive side of that and then you know I've heard the national media talk about his contract and you know even Shaq said something and some other ex-NBA players say stuff like oh well look what you can do you know if you just average these numbers and you know that's just out of context not fair.
2: Yeah, totally. That's what I was saying. That's the whole point. As far as health, is Conley's hammy your number one concern?
1: Um, I mean, it's it's certainly up there. Um, but uh, it, to me, number one concern is Donovan Mitchell. I mean, he, I, I think you you got to have Donovan in the playoffs, and you know, obviously he's looking like he's coming back soon, hopefully. Um, but you know, Donovan and Rudy. Uh, you know, A and double A, and and then obviously Conley's right there. You got to have your three three main guys, and those guys um, you got to have coming into the playoffs strong. For so, I I think if they have to rest Conley, they got to rest Conley. But you certainly got to be a strong team heading in.
0: You've probably had to play through some of these injuries, or had certainly you've had teammates who've had to. So I. I, and I don't have any medical inside info on Donovan, but having seen a lot of players with sprained ankles, you know it'd be five weeks from when he got hurt to when he came to, to win the playoff start. So I assume he's going to be healthy, even if he has had or is having some kind of setback. You know, as he rehabs it, he hurts it. But the hamstring—I have never understood when hamstrings are healthy or when they go. So I guess that's why I'm stressing over that one a little yeah. more. Is that right?
1: Yeah. I mean, tricky. Um, you know, jazz fans remember Carlos Boozer and his hamstrings and it was just, they just kind of flare up and, you know, you're, you're right at the verge, you feel it. Um, and you could have it tighten and you don't know whether that's a sign of, oh, is that going to pull or is that going to strain? And if it does pull or strain, then you're really in trouble. Um, so it's tricky. Um, you know, with ankles, look at, look at, uh, you know, LeBron, you know, he came back and Missed a ton of time with the ankle, and all of a sudden it just wasn't right still. And he's saying, I'm not healthy yet. So the ankles are, you know, all the injuries are different. You know, everyone, you know, one ankle strain is not the same as the next ankle sprain. You know, one hamstring strain is not the same as the next. So you you just don't know until you walk in the shoes, and no one ever walks in the shoes of a player. Um, So it's tough because that's why the Jazz have a great medical staff, and you you trust what you got there. And, um, you know, injuries are part of the game. And it used to be, you played, and if you were, you know, eighty percent, you go out there and play and give it your all. But, you know, I think they've gotten smarter, and I think over the years they've realized that that's not good because what happens is you're setting yourself up for another injury, and something else happens, and um, and you don't want that to happen either. So I, I think the the way that it has progressed with injuries, and then, you know, just the the medical breakthroughs and how the science behind it is just making the game and players smarter, I think it's better for the game.
2: Assuming that they have their health, and something that we all certainly want to have happen, and really for every team, and then let the chips fall where they may. But assuming the Jazz have their health, I'm looking at, you know, I don't know what's going to happen, obviously, and you could play well and still lose because there's some good teams out there. But if they've got their health – I think that the only thing that really would concern me as far as derailing them from winning an individual series would just be a team wide shooting slump from three. Is there anything True. else there? Am I missing anything?
1: Um yeah, I mean you can you can get someone rolling, right? On the other team. You know, there's there's quite the players that could, you know, get a going forty, fifty in a playoff game, you know, look at Luca Dame. You know Some of these guys, uh, Steph, that can can really get it going, that can carry a team. Can they do it through four games in a seven-game series? That, that's, that's very questionable. But they could get a couple wins for sure uh, just off star power. Uh, so you worry about that a little bit. Um, but I agree. I think in a seven-great-game series, uh, that's what's great about the seven games is usually – no, not usually, all the time. The best team wins. Um, and so you might have a night where you don't shoot well, but – you know, the the law averages is what we like to say. or It like usually comes back in your fruition. You're not going to shoot terribly for an entire series um, when you're a good shooting team. So, you know, you might worry about a game or two. But, um, you know, this is where I think coaching is underrated, too. And you go into a playoff matchup, coaches make adjustments. And I think the schemes, what goes on in playoffs are, are very, very important. And I think Quinn, you know, Jazz got a good one there, so I think that that's an advantage on the on the advantage column. Um, you know, I want to go back to the injury thing that I was just talking about because there are there is a point when, you know, and it, it might be I don't know game six or game seven of a playoff race where you do say, okay, now I now I am going to play when I'm 85 percent, right? Because uh, you know we lose or go home in those types of situations. So I, I'm for the. You know, getting healthy, but then once it comes time, if you're going to win a championship and you're gone, I think a lot of players and people around the nation would say, okay, now it's time to, to play through this one. So th- there's that too.
0: I'm curious what you think about the Phoenix Suns because whatever jazz fans and the local media around the jazz looks at the national media and says, oh, they don't respect this about us, they don't like that, I think we do the same thing to the Suns. And I think both... Organizations have the same issue right now. It's what you said earlier about you got to show me, you got to prove it. If you haven't been partway down the path to the title, I don't trust you to all of a sudden go all the way down. Usually you have to learn hard lessons and lose playoff series along the way. Do you think that that holds true in this era with these two teams?
1: You know, I I do. Um, I think the the same rhetoric goes with with Phoenix. I I don't think, you know, people around the league and you know, even if you listen to some of these players talk, whether it's LeBron or you know, Kawhi or some of the players on other teams in, in the Eastern Conference as well, you know, when you've been there and you've done it, you're not worried about seeding. Uh, they're just like, okay, get me there and then we'll figure it out because we've been there before. Um, guys, teams like Phoenix and Utah, I think they do need the home court. I think they do need the edge of having, you know, when things go wrong in a series that you, you know you got – you know, your fans behind you and you got, you got the extra game. Um, but you're right. I, you know, Phoenix, they're young, you know, Aiden is very young. Booker hasn't really proven it in the playoffs. You know, Chris Paul has been up and down in the playoffs, but, you know, he's never, you know, never won it. So, you know, bridges, they, they're, they're very similar. They're good as a team though. And so they can beat you with their team. And uh, I think they're underrated. I think you go in there and you say, okay, well, you know, even though they don't have the experience, I think they're well coached. I think they have a good scheme. I think I like, you know, they, they play a certain way, and it's going to be hard for them to lose because of the way they play. And it's much like the Jazz.
2: So, Suns are good. There's no doubt about it, And Big surprise yeah. team. As far as the Jazz, I give you two seed and full health. What percentage would you quickly sign off of it? Would it be like 80, 90, 100%? What would it be? Who's the seventh seed? I don't know.
1: (laughs) I can't guarantee (laughs) that. When you come up with that answer, I'll I'll give you my answer. (laughs) That's that's even more difficult to to determine on the below than it is above. Well, I mean, you look at the Lakers; uh, they're a couple games out of the seventh seed. Um, You know that that's a big whoa, really. I mean, it's yeah, that's true. I mean, they're thirty-seven and twenty-eight. You know, Portland's thirty-six and twenty-nine. I mean, there's not a lot separating one game. And without LeBron, you know, Schroeder's in the protocol for 10, 14 days. And so, you know, a lot of stuff can happen. But can you imagine, a, you know, if the Jazz fall to 2 and the Lakers go to 7, a 2-7 first-round matchup?
0: Oh, man. So, So LeBron wants to fire whoever came up with this. I think, it's, I think it's minimizing tanking, and the only people who have been up so, upset so far are Mavericks and Lakers, who think they should right. be better than seven, but are in danger of possibly finishing 7th. But I think it's yeah. minimizing tanking, and I get it's a mirage, and I get these teams aren't very good, and I get that they're probably not going anywhere in the postseason, probably going to be out real quick, but to the degree we don't have teams mailing it in and playing G League lineups right now, I like it.
1: I totally agree. I, I'm all for it. And, you know, I think it's great for the league. It it creates interest all the way down to the end game. And not only that, if you're the Wizards right now and your fan base is – I mean, you're loving life right here and you're saying to yourself, wow, we we have a real chance. I mean, we're coming on strong. We're in the 10th spot. Who wants to face us? We're one of the hottest teams in the league. Um, You know, I I think – and the matchups get really interesting. I mean, look at the West. The Spurs are in the 10th, you know, and you got the Grizz and Golden State. Does anyone want to face Golden State with Steph playing the way he's playing right now? And, you know, you got a young team with Memphis. Um, I don't think the Pelicans get in, so Zion's going to be out. But, you know, I, I, I love it. I, I, I find myself more um, involved this year as far as following other teams than I've been in the past because of this, the playing race.
0: Well, Matt, as always, we appreciate it, and uh, when you dropped Law of Numbers instead of Law of Averages this year, I don't even know if you remember doing it, but for whatever reason, that cracked us up. We need the unintentional comedy. Keep it coming. We love it. All right. Thank you. All right. <laughs> yeah, thank you, I think, right? All right. See you, guys. All right, thanks. All right, there is, uh, there's Matt Harpering, former jazz player, jazz TV analyst, and uh, he's all about it. Give them the play-in games and give him a healthy well, I, jazz team. Sure.
2: I'm, you guys go against LeBron?
0: Fine. <laughs> I'm going to be on the right side of history. LeBron is my leader, and Uh, I don't go against him. And I don't believe anything you just said. All right, (laughs) when we come back, Ryan Abraham, owner and publisher of USCfootball.com. USC, should they be the pick to win the South? Are they better than Utah and ASU? Or the door is open and other teams just need to walk through it because SC isn't all that. We'll talk with Ryan Abraham next. Stay with us. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. What
3: do they sell cocaine by nowadays? So you can get 20 lines from a single gram. For a heavy user, cocaine addiction can cost about $120 a day. So
1: yeah, if you're dropping 20 lines a day, you got a problem.
0: This is gonna cause just a rift. Just say if you're dropping 20 lines a day, you have a problem. I think if you're dropping a line a day, you've got a problem. I don't think it takes to get 20 a lines. Serious <laughs> If you're around 10, then no, you're I like, just okay. Just go
3: this little chart. They said you're good. You probably have a problem if you're doing any lines. Of course. But like no lines is acceptable. Hey, I'm telling you right now, there's some listener out there that's doing five to 10 lines a day, and he's like, "Yep, Scotty's right. See, I don't have a problem. I don't have a problem." So the unintended consequences of me reading that on the air is that somebody out there is like eh, I'm good this better not end up as a promo
0: Hanson Scotty weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5 1280 the zone in the zone sports network registration is now open for Skyhawks Sport Academy summer camps Join them for an action-packed, fun-filled summer of youth sports camps at a location near you. Choose between soccer, flag, football fueled by USA football, golf, baseball, cheerleading, multi-sports camps, mini-hawk camps, and more. Find program information and register today at www.skyhawks.com. Time to welcome in Ryan Abraham, owner and publisher of uscfootball.com. Ryan, welcome back to the show.
3: Thanks for uh, having me on. It's uh, kind of a shame to wrap up uh, spring football, but it was nice to get a little bit of normalcy and uh, looking forward to what's going to happen this fall.
0: And that is exactly what Ute fans are wondering. What is going to happen this fall? Is SC got a good recruiting class under its belt and all the uh, speculation about all the coaches is dying down? They're going to be able to focus on football and put together one of those legendary SC seasons or everything's unstable, the door's open, it's just up to Utah or ASU or UCLA or whoever to walk through it.
3: I think the short answer is yes to all of that. But <laughs> I think there's a,
0: they've done some
3: good things in the off season. I think bringing in Mike Bone, they've you know, realized some of the shortcomings uh, within the athletic department, especially the football team. They've bolstered the recruiting staff. They've made sure that Clay Helton brought in competent assistant coaches, not just familiar faces that he's worked with before. So I think everything around Clay Helton has been upgraded, and we saw uh, you know the spring football the last you know five weeks. It was a lot more physical than anything we had seen before. Uh, the roster is still pretty good. They lost seven guys from the team last year. You know, five got drafted and two signed as undrafted free agents. You know, they're so certainly losing some production, but there was it's a lot deeper of a spring roster than we've seen in a while, and the schedule's not that difficult. So everything's set up like that legendary kind of run uh, that they made, you know, like an, after the 2016 season going to the Rose Bowl, that potentially could happen. But you also still have you know Clay Helton's run in the show, and there's a lot of uncertainty, you know, just around that. Is there going to be those you know classic USC just letdown games where they lose games that they shouldn't? Uh, but the schedule in 2021 looks so much easier than the original 2021. There's no Alabama, uh, you don't have Oregon, you don't have Washington, so. It's set up well for them to make some kind of run. Will they? That's a great question.
2: Okay, so with Spring Ball being done, you can choose one Drake. Are you re- uh, re- uh, choosing defensive star Drake Jackson, offensive receiver star Drake London, or Drake the Rapper?
3: <laughs> well, for me, if it's personal, like, yeah, let's like have Drake the Rapper have some concerts in my driveway or something, that'd be great. But I. That's a tough one. I mean, those are the two guys, if you're looking at, that that were absolute studs and stars on both sides of the ball. And they've typically had a a deeper receiver group than I think they have this year. There's a lot of unproven talent. So I'm going to go with Drake London. He's been just a stud uh, out there. For Drake Jackson, I mean, he's amazing too, but they do have Corey Foreman coming in, the number one player who played with him in high school. Could sort of be the Drake Jackson replacement. I don't see the Drake London replacement right yet, so I'll go with Drake London.
0: So watching a little bit of that uh, uh, spring game, I'm curious what you think of the battle for the backup quarterback slot. Obviously, we got a local guy here from Utah involved in this. I mean, Slovis is the guy, but if he goes down, does the whole season go up in smoke, or is there a chance that they could? St- they got enough talent. They got somebody who can step in and take over.
3: Yeah, I th- I would lean towards the, the going up at smoke side, but they, they had a veteran. Well, they had a couple of veterans. Uh, Matt Fink had the ability to return. He decided to retire. You remember he had a good game against Utah in uh, 2019 when Slovis went down. So he's uh, moving on. I think he's still at USC getting his master's. And then they brought in Mohassan, who was put on scholarship last year, too. He was a transfer from Vanderbilt, actually won a game in the SEC. So there's some experience there, but he blew out his knee. In that spring game, uh, he looked actually pretty good. So now you're down to two true freshman backup quarterbacks. You mentioned Jackson Dart, who's just been – he's the fan favorite for sure. Everyone loves his athleticism. He's got a great arm. Um, There just seems to be a lot of upside there. And it goes to show, I mean, he just wasn't on as many people's radar until uh, fall football happened for high school. Miller Moss didn't get the chance to play his senior year, so he didn't have that opportunity. But Jackson Dart took it, ran with it. And he has just been on a meteoric rise. Like people love him around USC. So I think he's probably the fan favorite to be the backup. But I've, the practices I watch, it sort of went back and forth depending on the on the day. I think, you know, we saw some upside from Dart. I, I think that, you know, we've, we've seen true freshmen come into this offense and do well. Um, we've seen guys come off the bench and do well. So I wouldn't, you know, because the schedule is not the most daunting, I think that they would have some success. But to – to make a run at, like, you know, winning the Pac-12 in the playoff, I think you're going to need Slovis to do that. But the the local guy for you guys, Jackson Dart, he's definitely been a favorite, and he's looked good uh, from when I've seen him out there.
2: So, interestingly, they get, what, three transfers from Texas, where Sarkeesian was, he used to be, where he is, and obviously he used to be at SC. And uh, I think that the tight end kid's going to play. And then also the running back, uh, Keontae, Ingram. Now they've got Carr and the other guy coming back too, but uh, Keontae Ingram—is he going to vault to the top? And how good is he?
3: Yeah, I mean it's it's really interesting. They did you know they just picked up their third uh, Texas transfer this offseason, um, which is crazy. They you know they brought in the, the safety Damian Alford. Uh, you know they bring in Malcolm Epps, uh, the tight end you mentioned yesterday. He might be more of a receiver, but the guy that stood out to me with Keontae Ingram. He ran more of like a spread, aerated kind of stuff uh, in high school and then didn't really get to do that at Texas. Had some great moments there, then had some fumble issues. But he's come in and just brought a whole different vibe, I think, to the, the running back room that's been a little stale just because it's been the same guys over and over. Marquis Stepp was a fan favorite. He ends up transferring out and goes to Nebraska. He gets hurt. He's out again. He's just someone that's been hard to keep on the field. I like Stephen Carrs look pretty good. but Vai Malpei is like a, you know, just a steady guy there. But Ingram comes in and brings something different to the table. He can catch the ball in the backfield. He he had a 49 yards gamper after catching the ball in the the spring game. And just when you, if you just didn't know anyone's numbers and you just watched some practices, you like that guy looks like a starter. And that's what he did to me. So I don't know if that's you know any indication of what they were doing in the running back room before, but he's come in and definitely. Uh, provided a spark, I wouldn't be surprised if he's, you know, one of the you know top two, you know, one or two guys or whatever in that running back rotation. He's just coming from outside, and, and that's the Texas connection with all the, the coaches that USC has from the state of Texas. They, you know, they they get a guy like that that looks like he could be the starter.
0: Ryan Abraham, USCFootball.com, joining us. I, I'm just curious that you know the. When you throw the ball the way SC does with the whole air raid influence and all that, the skilled players are going to get all the run anyway. They're going to get even more run in this. But there just seems to be plenty of stories written that USC isn't good enough in the trenches and they can be bullied and can be pushed around. Do you believe that?
3: Yeah, I think that's the big that was the big concern uh, last year. I mean, they didn't they ran they passed the ball very well. They did not run the ball well. there it's like the if you look at some of the advanced stats, the stuff rate, you know, where in the you know the first four yards they usually attribute to the offensive line. All of those stats, USC was like some, one of the worst in the country. The short yard situation stuff, where you really just need to, you know, you're going to run and just need to bully somebody. And you know, fans want you to be under center or eye formation. Like you don't have to do that. You can still run these spread concepts, and push people around up front. And USC hasn't been able to do that. And maybe the biggest concerning thing is USC's had a first-round draft pick from the offensive line the last two seasons in a row and still has had uh, you know, troubles running the football. They've got a deep offensive line room. I think there's 19 guys on scholarship, and they're probably still looking to bring in a, a transfer, maybe a ready-made left tackle that they can get from somewhere else. But it's, it's definitely a concern. They've mixed and matched a, a little bit. And they, you know, they got four starters basically back uh, from last year, but it just hasn't seemed to to get, you know, everything get put together. And then they brought in a, a more of a spread guy, and uh, Clay McGuire, who's you know worked under the Mike Leach system and is familiar with the air raid. So I think that's probably two years overdue that you had a spread offensive line coach with your spread offense. But they're doing that now, and we'll see what the, you know, what kind of fruit that that bears. But I think he's got some good tape to watch all of these young guys and see where they fit and then in the fall kind of put people in place and, and pick the five best guys. But yeah, it's, to me that would be the biggest concern. I mean, if they got plenty of skill talent, you got Keenan Slovas who's, you know, already a twenty twenty two draft high projection guy, but they need to be able to block some people. You can you can run the spread offense and, and have guys open and throw in complete passes and stuff. But if you really want to be successful, you're gonna to have to run the ball when people know you're gonna run the ball and they just haven't been able to do that the last few years.
2: Okay, and so you can argue that the spring game was a little bit of good news, bad news, and the offensive line being more the bad news. But the good news in the trenches, the defensive line, we already mentioned Drake Jackson. You spoke about Corey Foreman, who I believe – Considered the nation's number one prospect, kind of a Thibodeau kid that we see at Oregon, who will be a high draft choice this season. I'm hoping he actually actually opts out and prepares himself for the draft. No need to play for the Ducks this year, but that's my own personal <laughs> bias. And then I throw in guys like Tui Polotu and uh, what's a uh, Sikona and, and Lichtenstein. It looks like they're pretty well loaded up front defensively, though.
3: Yeah, the, I like the defensive line. They brought in Vic Sooto um, last year, and he was a younger, you know, less experienced assistant coach, I think only three years, uh, working under Bronco Mendenhall, who he played for. And just, he looks like he could play right now. He, I mean, I I don't think anyone on the team could beat him up. I mean, he's huge. He's always wearing, like, uh, you know, tank tops and screaming sacks, sacks, sacks. I mean, he brings so much energy, and it's just you're like, you like that kind of coach, but then can you really develop these guys? But these the, all the young guys look better. You mentioned Tui Tule Tuipolotu. Tule his brother just got drafted yeah. uh, coming in, and he's just been an absolute beast out there. Someone was like a three-star guy coming in. There was like, oh, yeah, his brother's playing at USC. Man, uh, he's been great. And Jay Toya is another one, a freshman coming in. And when you see some of these young guys really, you know, impressing, um, I think you have to attribute that to, I mean, you know, Pretty good recruiting, but also the, the development they're getting and how the you know just the, he, he's getting these guys to gel together. So I think Vic Soto's done a nice job. And you got a guy like Caleb Tremblay, who's a redshirt senior, you know, transferring out of the program, going to to Tennessee. He probably would have played, but wasn't getting as much run as some of the young guys. I think that's a you know pretty good. You kind of attribute that to man. You got to you got to bring it just because you're senior doesn't mean you're going to play. So I think they they're in a good direction with the with the defensive line. And like you said, you know Corey Foreman coming in is certainly going to help, but I, I like the way they've developed that. I think they've done a much better job developing those young defensive linemen than they have uh, the offensive line the last couple of years.
0: Ryan Abraham, USCfootball.com joining us. So, I don't want to overstate this. You know, USC has rivalries with Notre Dame and UCLA, but there's seven games on the home schedule. Utah visits on October 9th. BYU visits on November 27th. Given past results, USC losing in Provo a couple of years ago, and Several losses to Utah up up uh, up here. Is there any juice for those games? How, how do USC fans look at those games?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think less so for the BYU game. I mean, they were pretty upset uh, to, to, to lose that game going on the road. But, I mean, the Utah one is somewhat, I think that's where USC fans circle it all the time. I mean, they, I think if they played BYU more, you'd get a little bit more of that. I, don't, I mean, there'll be some kind of revenge factor or whatever. But the, the Utah game, just because it's a, a divisional opponent, um, you've seen so many, you know, good games, and the home team has has won a whole lot of those ones. Um, I think that's one that USC fans have have circled, and and Utah is one of the programs where you're like, oh, they, you know, lost quarterback, lost running back, lost a bunch of production, but you still know they're going to be great on the lines. There's still, there's always going to be, you know, Kyle Whittingham is uh, is just, a, just such a great developer of talent. They always are able to kind of reload and do their kind of system and and make it work and and make it tough on teams. And I think USC fans. Uh, realize that so you can say oh Arizona State's on the rise or UCLA looks better but you know I think USC fans know that if you're going to win the South it's got to go through uh, Utah and you know winning the division for two years in a row uh, I think that got a lot of Trojan fans attention so I, yeah I think that's the one if you're going to talk about a Pac-12 South game is UCLA because of the, the rivalry and stuff but the Utah one I think is the one they always look forward to because they you know they know it's it's really important as far as trying to win the Pac-12.
2: So, you talked about not having a receiver depth where we talked about one receiver. How about Brew McCoy? Is he ready for a breakout? He is
3: you know, I think uh you know coming back uh, transferring you know uh into the program last year, we got to see him some um you know he missed some time for covid stuff early in in the spring, but I think he's pencil penciled in is like the the number two. Uh, guy right now, I mean, they got a lot of of young receivers, and you know, the the majority of that room are freshmen or, or redshirt freshmen. And you might see a guy like Kyle Ford, uh, who's coming off two, you know, his second ACL, should be ready for the fall. I think he, you know, he's a former five-star guy like Brew McCoy. I think both those guys have the potential, but we've seen a lot more of, of Brew McCoy, and you know, he had a touchdown catch in the uh, in the spring game. He's looked good. Katie Nixon's sort of the. Um, X-Factor, I mean, you've seen him at Colorado. He just transfers to USC. He's been out there, but it's not been super consistent. I, I just want to see what he's able to do. But he's like the lone senior. Everyone else is freshmen and sophomores uh, in that room. And they just had Moneer uh transfer out of the program. So one less body there. But it's uh, they've got some good guys. It's just which one that's going to step up. They've Over the last few years, there's just been established players, like the, the Tyler Vons, the St. Browns. You guys have been around. And you know what their their role is. I think there's a lot of guys who are just not sure what their role is going to be. Bruce McCoy is one of them. But I would guess after Drake London, he's probably going to be the, the number two guy for Keaton Slovis.
2: So we already mentioned Corey Foreman, who's expected to hit the ground running on the outside and just get to the quarterback all often and we'll see if he usually those types of players live up to their hype so i'm expecting him to be really good but sort of a two-parter question here is that i see in my reading and research and i've started it on the pac-12 particularly the south teams because obviously that's where utah is that in recruiting they got what 14 guys that are either four or five star and we heard just a couple years ago, man, they sucked in recruiting. So how'd they pull that off? And then which of these guys outside of Foreman do you think would have an immediate impact?
3: Yeah, they uh, they, they went from, I think, 64th uh, in, the, in the country in their national ranking for uh, recruiting, which is, I mean, for USC to, it, to be out of the top 15 is like a, it's crazy. I mean, to be 64th, there's just, we've never seen anything like that before. And they bump up. I end up finishing number seven in the composite rankings for 24-7. And I think a lot of it is like what we talked about at the top with, you know, bringing in Mike Bone, bringing in more support staff, bringing in better assistant coaches that would, you know, recruit full-time instead of being part-time guys. So I think that's a, the big reason why you saw so many, uh, you know, so you saw that recruiting class turn around a lot. And I think, you got to look at the freshman quarterbacks, just because we haven't seen a quarterback from USC make it throughout the entire season. So Jackson, Dark, Miller, Moss, one of those guys are probably going to be important and end up playing. I like Brandon Campbell a lot. He's uh, from Katy, Texas, uh, running back, five ten, about one hundred and ninety pounds. He's looked good out there along with the transfer uh, Ingram. So and you know we, they're they're pretty thin at cornerback. So a guy like C.A. Wright from Loyola High School in L.A. We haven't seen him yet. He hasn't enrolled yet, but, I mean, he's got the potential to come in and uh, and and make a splash. So I think there's some guys out there that, you know, have the potential to make a, a mark early. Uh, some of them came in and enrolled early, so we got to see those guys. But, like, we saw Campbell and we saw Dart and we saw Moss. And some of the guys I think you have to wait, you know, the summer when they come in. But they can get thin at spots. And if you if you know, some of these two freshmen can contribute, I think they're going to be able to trust them and get them in there. But it's it's definitely – a much better recruiting class to, to pick from that you can get some guys that uh, can make an impact much more so than the, that 2020 class.
0: Well, Ryan, we will talk to you again as the season gets closer, and if the Trojans aren't 5-0 and when they host Utah on October 9th, then uh, you know, we'll be asking about Clay Hilton's job, job status, because <laughs> obviously 4-1 and one is unacceptable for the USC faithful. They're writing too big of checks.
3: <laughs> you're right about that. If you're five and zero, oh, they'll probably be complaining. So that's uh, <laughs> probably true. That's the season, man. Until something big happens, if they make the playoff or something, or you know, whatever. Like that's that's pretty much my day hearing about fans being upset with the
0: Ryan, we appreciate
3: it.
1: Thanks a lot. Well, thanks for having me on.
0: You can check out Ryan's work. He's the owner and publisher of USCFootball.com. And uh, we appreciate him coming on as often as he does. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, the Utah Jazz, one down, one to go with the San Antonio Spurs. We had Matt Harper on earlier this morning offering up a few opinions. we got a lot of people hitting us up on uh, Twitter and Facebook. Uh, Reactions to the win and one bizarro reaction and a particularly hilarious response. We'll get to that next. Stay with us.
3: The The Big Show with Jake Scott and Gordon Monson.
0: Have you showed Lisa this story? No. Will you put the headset on her and show her that story?
3: (laughs) Okay, now you be respectful while I'm gone, okay? Uh Okay. Hey, hey yeah. fellas. Gordon is back. Hi, Gordon. Yeah, she's not here. I think she's on a walk or something. Now, wait a minute. Did you eat something? <laughs> I oh. grabbed a snack. And, you
0: I didn't did go even <laughs>
3: go and look for it. I saw a couple of M&Ms, so I chucked them in my mouth, and then I went to
0: the other side of the house to look for <laughs> you it. You did not. You just went to the kitchen <laughs> to grab a snack. <laughs> it's okay, it? Sure, they're waiting on air for me, but heck, I'm oh, hungry. Fine. Well, yeah, some Oh, no, I <laughs> got a snack. Catch the Big Show weekdays from 2 to 7, presented by Big Oats. Tires, the team you trust on 97.5, 1280 the zone in the Zone Sports Network. Join Hanson's and Scotty G Friday at the warehouse from ten a.m. to two p.m. Prices so low it'll blow your mind. Boom. Question of the morning: How nice is it to put a whooping on the San Antonio Spurs? And Jeff tweets back at us: We didn't whoop the Spurs last night. We lost to the Lakers. And that tweet is a quote tweet, PK. And he's quoting Irvin Magic Johnson with the blue check mark and 5.1 million followers. Because Magic tweeted out Anthony Davis was huge tonight without LeBron and Dennis Schroeder, scoring 25 points in the Lakers' big win over the Jazz. Magic? <laughs> Magic? Magic? Do you actually know who the Lakers played? Because it wasn't the Jazz.
2: Well, that's so typical, man. We are in their heads. They just can't get us out of their minds. They know we're there, and they know the title goes through Salt Lake City, Utah. The championship, man, you want to win it, you got to beat our guys. Don't be giving me oh, who they going to play in the seventh seed. Who cares who they're going to play in the seventh seed? Bring them all on, and we will defeat them. I really believe this is our year.
0: Jazz, nuggets, that's all the Mountain Time Zone. Flyover states. Pshah. Or is it nothing but just disrespect?
2: Yes. Because, yes, it's the Intermountain West, and I don't know one from the other.
0: Rocky Mountains, Wasatch Mountains, it's all the same thing. Whatever. Lakers won. We're all that matters. Signed, Irvin Magic Johnson. Are not the Wasatch Mountains the Rocky Mountains? I don't know. I'm in L.A. Let's go to Redondo Beach. Isn't that the same as Manhattan Beach? No. Where are the San Gabriels at? (laughs) Over there by the Rose Bowl.
2: No, you're slumming it if you go to Redondo.
0: Please. Huntington? Redondo's for the Eh, little people. That's a little bit too far away. Yeah, that's all the way down in Orange County. Please.
2: If you're going to be there, you might as well go to Newport or Laguna. Good point. Uh, mm, Is that a sign of disrespect, or was he just watching and looking at the Jazz and thinking, well, you know, they're really good, and I'm most worried. Because the the funny thing is, you know, there's a lot of thought that Jazz are disrespected, but when it comes to the Suns, they – are far more disrespected, speaking of the Suns, than the Lakers are or the Jazz are. So if you're looking at the top two teams right now between one and two, most folks would say, which is the more dangerous of the two? Which do you fear more? You would say that it would be the Jazz. So maybe he was thinking along those lines or he just screwed it up and
0: uh, I don't maybe know what he was thinking. He may have been watching both games, on flipping back and forth on his uh... – his NBA uh, package, you know, watching the NBA ticket or whatever. And just put in the wrong team. Well, they, they, in they, they, yeah. the
2: Laker-Nuggets game obviously was far more competitive. And it was, if you were looking for competition, because it was clear. And I was checking out that game, too. I was flicking over because it was obvious that the Lakers, I mean, the, the Jazz were going to win that game. I mean, that was one of these games that was never in doubt, pretty much from start to finish. That was amazing in that way. Uh, once the Jazz got going, I thought, man, they've, they've got this and they're going to just continue to do what they do and are doing. And that's exactly what happened. Whereas the Laker-Nugget game, I kept waiting for the Nuggets to make a run because the Lakers have been slumping and given the fact that The Nuggets have been playing well. I expected the Nuggets to win. Now, they didn't. Now, this is a big win for the Lakers, no doubt. See, the Lakers needed a dose of confidence. I don't think that the Jazz needed any reassurance whatsoever. This is what they do, usually. And I, notwithstanding the two Minnesota losses, because that, that flies in the face of what I'm saying. But I do think that they've got enough talent to beat the average teams. Enough talent minus the two starters, obviously. So I,
0: starters, I think we all do. think that, and we've all argued that, but they lost to Minnesota. They lost to Minnesota again. You got me they were, there. They were hanging on for dear life against Toronto. Now they won it, mm. and a win is a win, and you just add up ah, the number okay, of wins. You're not going to blow out teams. So. But the Spurs looked and felt different than the Raptors game, certainly well, both should. the Timberwolves games. The
2: Raptors were in town for a day. You weren't. You played back-to-back. The, the, the explanation is obvious. It has nothing to do with the players or lack of talent. Toronto was in town, did not play on Friday. You played on Friday, had to fly back, play Saturday, and then the, just the reverse. You were home resting, and the Spurs had to play at home, get on a plane, and fly back here. If you're looking for a test, it'll come tomorrow. Because all things are equal in that regard, but they were clearly unequal. That's why it doesn't matter as much in the postseason, because everybody's on the same schedule. Certainly your opponent is. So the answer's obvious as to why they were hanging on for dear life and why they blew away the Spurs.
0: When we come back, Matt Harpering on playoff matchups. Will he be painted into a corner? We will get to that next. Stay with us.